So what do I mean by a leadership brand? Because I, I talk a lot about leadership branding and there's personal branding, which is you know who you are to the marketplace, usually typically from a sales and marketing perspective. But there's leadership branding that I like to call it, which is who you are during times of stress, crisis, change, what people say about you when you're not around, what they expect of you as a leader. And do they expect the joke? Do they expect you to step up? Do they expect you to be motivational rah-rah? Do they expect you to be a listener? Do they expect you to panic? What's your brand? It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the NeuroSide of Influence and Leadership with Rene Rodriguez. Welcome everybody to this week's podcast. And this week is actually, we're gonna be talking about what we call the 10 leadership brands that you don't want. And this comes from an article that I wrote right at the beginning of the pandemic when Corona was being first talked about. As I started looking at things, and this isn't the first time I've gone through sort of a big crisis of, of change and I've been a student of how, how people look and they and they behave during difficult times and this was an, a, a perfect opportunity to sort of sit back and watch to see how people responded it's one of my favorite quotes that, that i've heard and it comes from emerson where he said that adversity does not build character it reveals it and so here we have a, a time of a, a big event where we're all about to go through massive amounts of adversity and this is those times where i started take a look and just really watch people and who they are and what they go through. For me, this was an opportunity to say, okay, here's what I've learned. Here's what I started observing. And I wanted to put an article out there really for leaders to say, here's the reality. You're going to be judged at the end of this. Who are you? And can we get out ahead of it? And I wanted to make it somewhat of a timeless piece too, that we could discuss afterwards, use it to say, okay, who was I? Was I any of these leadership brands? Was I anybody that I don't want to be? What did I learn? What could I do better? And sometimes when we can preempt something, we can kind of build awareness around it and we won't do it again. But also, I think it's it's something to reflect as we go forward. So let's think about that for a minute. So what one thing we got to think about, so what do I mean by a leadership brand? Because I, I talk a lot about leadership branding and there's personal branding, which is you know who you are to the marketplace, usually typically from a sales and marketing perspective. But there's leadership branding that I like to call it, which is who you are during times of stress, crisis, change, what people say about you when you're not around, what they expect of you as a leader. And do they expect the joke? Do they expect you to step up? Do they expect you to be motivational rah-rah? Do they expect you to be a listener? Do they expect you to panic? What's your brand? And sometimes your brand isn't what you want it to be, but you know your brand is your brand and you have to take a look at it. And so you define your brand by what you say publicly. What you post on social media has a big impact on it. The kinds of jokes you tell, how emotionally you intelligent you are or aren't, how you run and manage your meetings, the decisions you make, et cetera. And so those are the things that really dictate what your leadership brand is. And I want to br bring as much awareness to that as possible. 
And of course, if you're listening to this and you don't consider yourself a leader, well, I think you have to redefine what leadership means. Leadership to me is anybody who has influence over someone. So that becomes a pretty broad, inclusive definition. So if you are in influencing anyone, you're a leader, period. You don't need the title. You don't need the job title. You don't need the, the, the external validation to lead. Because I know a lot of people that don't have any sort of significant title in an organization, but definitely are driving organizations and influencing them in a lot of different ways. And so as I go through these, the easiest thing to do is to say, oh, I know that person, I know that person, because it's easy to see these traits and attributes in other people. But I want you to resist that, because you're already good at that. I'm good at that. We're all good at that. I want you to really look internally to see where you fall in these and ask yourself, where, where am I? And we don't want to think perfection here. We want to think self-awareness, okay? Because none of us are perfect. We're going to find the little bits and pieces of us in all of these, but just to start creating some self-awareness. And so what are these 10 leadership brands? Let's get into the first one. First one I called Jester the Comedian or just the Jester. And I'll read you exactly how I wrote it here. Jester is full of memes. I mean, he has all of them and will share them all. When current events happen, you can count on Jester to ensure that you're up to speed on critical events like the Tiger King or reminding us that Epstein didn't kill himself. You can even bet on the fact that you will find some, he'll find some way of bringing jokes to your well-intended, thought-provoking posts. You could even be in the middle of a really good conversation, and there they are, being funny, again. What's interesting about the Jester is that when all of this is over and past us, they will need to get back to work selling us on something or trying to lead us in some way. You'll see it clearly because it just won't make any sense. They posted 87 memes and then they come out with some futile attempt at inspiration or advice that just seems out of place. It might even be great advice, but it feels like you just found your cereal box in the fridge. It just doesn't fit. I, I like to be a little harsh on these because that is how the marketplace judges us. Remember, I always tell you, we're in an attention world, the, the age of attention or the attention age, and we're not capturing attention immediately. We're moving on. We're also, part of that is we're bucketing people quickly. And if you are always the one that's funny, and I'm not saying humor is not good. Humor is fantastic. It's an amazing tool. But if that's all you're doing and your timing is off and you're not showing a sense of judgment, then you're setting yourself up to be seen and being people being confused when you're actually trying to inspire action and you're trying to get them to think in a certain way. And so should you have the memes? I love memes. I think they're hilarious. I think there are ways of understanding social tension. I think there are ways of being in touch with societal, what we call kairos, what's the zeitgeist, the era that we're in, what people are thinking. But will they be my main source of communication all the time? No, absolutely not. Because that's just not the brand that I want. So be aware of Jester and how often. The abuse of anything is not any good, right? But just because something's been abused does not neglect its use. That's T.S. Eliot. So number two leadership brand that you don't want, Johnny Tone Deaf. Here's what I wrote. Johnny means well, but just doesn't get it. They seem to lack any connection to how people are feeling around them or what the general sentiment is. They joke at the wrong time. They try to inspire when they should just listen. The, the, the post from their hot tubs with the perfect family taking talking about the need to be quarantined, not realize a lot of people don't have hot tubs and may not have families to be home with. They mean well, but in the end end up hurting people 
frustrating them. And sadly, no one will ever tell them because they already know that how they're going to respond. The opposite of tone deaf is empathy. What's interesting around tone deaf is that it really it goes back to even the previous one. It very correlated to the comedian. It's, it's, a, it's a lack of self-awareness as well. And that lack of self-awareness also means a, a very low uh, emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence says I'm aware of how I'm feeling, I'm aware of my impact on others, and I'm aware of how others are feeling. And if I'm lacking that self-awareness, which is that cornerstone, I can be very tone-deaf to a situation and I can do things that just might be totally off on that. And so part of the way to develop the anti-Johnny tone-deaf is to really develop your empathy. And that's not an easy one because if you are an empathetic, you probably don't know it. And if you are tone deaf, you probably don't know it. So if you don't know it, then start listening. If you've heard the joke and people telling you that, then you need to start listening. If people don't come to you and tell you things, then you maybe need to start asking questions. Number three, Amy Alarmist. Now, this is what I wrote about Amy. So prepare yourself for Armageddon. Batten down the hatches. These are phrases often used by Amy Alarmist. We got to know Amy well during Y2K, anthrax, Ebola, bird flu, Zika, and any other opportunity the media has so masterfully manufactured. Amy can be persuasive, though. She's armed and ready for arguments with articles, YouTube videos, and the like to illustrate just how bad things are right now. If you aren't ready for Amy, you might fall into her web of fear-mongering. What makes her interesting is that I truly feel that she's trying to come from a good place. The fear is real for her. And she wants to help, but her approach needs a lot of help. I mean, a lot of help. And so what's interesting here is, without trying to psychoanalyze what's going on, I think Amy comes from a good place. And I think there, but there's also a place of, maybe there's a lack of attention, maybe there's a lack of self-worth, there's all sorts of things, but I don't want to get into that because that's just not what's helpful. This is, again, is about self-awareness. If I find myself feeling the need to be the alarmist, feeling the need to try to use fear to try to catch, catch attention. I don't know. That to me is the, the, the warning sign for me to say, hold on a second, what else is going on here? Especially if the media is involved. I have learned all too often, far too many times, that the media is not a public service organization as much as I wish it was. It's not. It's a for-profit organization, just like I am, just like you are probably listening to this. And so they're going to do what sells. Now, you know, we can get into the ethics and the morality in terms of the value set, in terms of selling what, but that can also be easily justified and the, just the way that our brain works in terms of, you know, justifying our beliefs and, and certain things. And But setting that all aside, taking a look at, are you trying to drive fear or are you trying to create hope? That's kind of how I look at it. I know that in our company, we did not want to propose more fear. We didn't want to contribute to it. We wanted to get people focused on what they could control. Being smart, being safe, using common sense, and continuing to add value to the marketplace. Protecting their families, protecting themselves, all those things were critical. We also needed to keep things moving forward. It's like terrorism. The moment we stop working, the terrorists win. We don't want that. And so in this piece, need to think about, am I finding myself in this alarmist phase? Now, what's, what's difficult is that we are also triggered through what's called negativity bias. We're, we're, we're biologically constructed to pay attention to these alarmist sort of claims. It's, it's, a, it's a survival mechanism. Why would we ignore somebody telling us a warning sign about something that is dangerous to us? That's what kept us alive for so long. I mean, that's, it's biological science. 
And so we gotta, we've also evolved to say, okay, I got to question sometimes my own biology in terms of how things were because maybe some of it is ancient. Maybe some of it is something that isn't serving me in a modern world. As good and as amazing of a design it is, we also have been designed to question and we have to question. Sense of certainty is the dangerous part. And so we need to question that. And again, let's not get into judging Amy because some of us fall into this piece, right? There's there's something, there's a payoff to being the one that tipped everybody off, right? Paul Revere, the, hey, you know, the Redcoats are coming. It's, there's something about being that, that hero. Hey, this is what's going on. But we have to be careful of Amy Alarmist. Number four, Andy Apathy. Here's what I wrote about Andy. Not too much to say here. Andy Apathy just doesn't care. Let's move on as he will be forgotten anyways. That's all I wrote about Andy Apathy. <laughs> so and that's kind of sad. But if you're a leader and you feel a sense of apathy, yeah, you're going to be forgotten. And if you are remembered, it's not going to be for something very positive. Apathetic teachers, the ones that didn't care when we needed them, the ones that weren't there, if we remember them, it's not for a positive thing. And so we need to think about where is our energy, where is our sense of care during times like this? Because I, I saw, gosh, I saw so many people that just, they didn't care about how the people were feeling. They get so focused on their work, they get so focused on other things, they say, ah, it's not my problem, you know, hey, I need to take care of my family, you name it. It's, yeah, we can move on. Because, like I said, they're going to be forgotten anyway. Number five, Colin Coward. Let's have some fun with Colin Coward. So when times are good, Colin is front and center leading the way. But where is he now? We don't hear from him. He doesn't call. He doesn't write. He doesn't post. Nothing. We've seen this type of leader on TVs, on TV and in the movies. Characters like King Joffrey in the Game of Thrones. As soon as wartime came, he was gone and showed up immediately after the war. We saw this in the epic movie Gladiator when Commodus gallops up to Marcus Aurelius and Maximus after the war finishes saying, have I missed the battle? And his father, Marcus Aurelius, replies, you have missed the war. These characters elicit deep-seated emotion inside of us and become some of the most hated characters. People remember this behavior when, when times get better and when they try to return to their position of quote-unquote leader. These are, these are tough positions to be in because we remember cowardice, especially when it was time to step up. And if we believed in you as a leader and you ran and hid, we don't forget those things. It is the, and, and sometimes cowardice comes in silence. Sometimes cowardice comes in lack of action. Martin Luther King had a great quote. He said, in the end, we don't remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And to me, that quote meant that the cowardice of our friends to not stick up for what was right, to not be there for us, and choosing silence over some sense of, of loyalty or some sense of, of connection and relationship. But we remember that sense of cowardice. It's something we just never forget. And it triggers something inside of us. And some leaders I watch, they say, well, you know, I don't know enough about the situations from, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to stay out of it. And it's like, well, that's, it, that's not a luxury you have as leader. That's not the luxury you have. You have to learn. You have to study. You have to get up and read. You have to educate yourself. Surround yourself with the people that you know. Because as leader, your job is to guide us through these difficult times, period. And if you don't know, educate yourself. There are people that do that are more than happy and that don't have the leadership skills that you do. 
that can and maybe haven't been chosen to lead that can educate you. And so every president, every CEO has advisors, right? Those that maybe have studied it, but make sure you have good ones because those advisors are very influential. So Colin Coward can be very hated because they didn't show up when we needed them. So what do you do during crisis? Do you show up? Do you hide? And or do you find ways of saying, well, you know, I'm just going to observe. That's another way of remaining silent. Then we have Karen conspiracy. The government created COVID-19 and Bill Gates is responsible. 5G, uh, there is a vaccine and they won't release it. This was before the vaccine, obviously, when I wrote this. Uh, this happened because Chinese people, Chinese people ate bats. This is not worse than the common cold. Uh, this is a biology, biological weapon. Why are Russians not suffering from this? I could go on and on. And so, again, this is fascinating, reading this article uh, even now. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm sure as hell no, they don't either. <laughs> Science doesn't mean much to these types, so don't even try to argue with them. I find it best to just mute them, unfriend them, or block them. The conspiracy theorist, that's, a, that's another sort of Amy alarmist and conspiracy theorist. They, they, they're, they're kind of similar in some ways, and you can see they're, they're all kind of from the same family. There's something about that lack of logic and imagine being trying to be a leader and being also known. Remember, these are brands, by the way. Let's go back to this. I'm not saying you can't believe in these things. I'm not saying that you can't look into them or being like, hey, you know, because there's there some conspiracies that I think I'm like, geez, that, that kind of makes sense. I wonder if something's there, but it's not going to be my brand. It's not something I'm going to put out there. I'm going to, I need to understand what I'm talking about. And a lot of the content that you see, if I'm on stage talking about that, a lot of that content I've wrestled with for a minimum of two years before I, I make it, it makes it to a stage where I watch people that they hear an idea and then the next day they're kind of talking about it and, and botching it and not fully understanding it and, and they're not ready to answer tough questions. And you know what? I, I love the implementation side of it, but that doesn't mean that they understand it fully. So you have to be able to, and, and that means that you should be able to ask some tough questions. You should be able to push forward on some of that stuff. But don't be afraid to look into these things. If you believe them, great, believe them. But I think asking tough questions, seeing, because sometimes, you know, some of these conspiracies, maybe they did come from something. Maybe there is something we can learn. Who knows? But is that what you want to be, your brand to be? That's up to you. I think it made it to number six of my 10 leadership brands you don't want. Number seven, Sally Spin. So Sally Spin, no matter what the news is, Sally always finds a way to make it political. They are passionate about their beliefs and are completely disconnected from anything other than that, what they believe and what supports their argument. Their posts repel anyone who doesn't believe what they believe while attracting more people who support the spin. I know that most people are okay with that, but it isn't good strategy for leadership. Let me repeat that. I know that most people are okay with like, pushing away that the people that don't believe what I do and attract people that do. But that's not a good model for leadership. Leaders build bridges where there's seemingly no way to connect. At least the best leaders do. They inspire hope and collaboration across social, economic, and political boundaries. Even when they are thrown an olive branch from a cross-political party, they use it as an opportunity to hit harder versus continuing to build that bridge. This is a tough one. Because, I mean, how... How much have we watched politics over the last several years being become a part of every conversation? It's brutal. I mean, how many people do we know that just turned off social media because they just couldn't handle it anymore? 
Oy, I get even tired just talking about it. To me, there is a great TED Talk. I think I might have mentioned it in one of my other podcasts on how to have better political conversations where they took some neuroscientists and they, they took people and they knew that they had uh, different political beliefs, but they had them come in and talk about values. And they structured the values conversation to really be sort of left-wing and right-wing value sets. And, and when they did not have a political veil, uh, Republicans sounded like Democrats and Democrats sounded like Republicans. And you couldn't tell the difference between who's who. And I thought that was completely fascinating because part of my mission, I guess, is to build bridges between people that typically didn't, that maybe didn't think there was possible to do that. So that's Sally Spin. You know, if you're making everything political, just stop. <laughs> we know that our goal is to be heard, right? Not just to speak. And if we know that's maybe not the best strategy, we need to start thinking about something better. Number eight, Pollyanna. Pollyanna. And this is what I wrote. Everything will be just fine if we just adopt an abundant mindset, according to Polly. I'm all for healthy optimism, but when it comes to optimistic view, uh, that optimistic view ignores some of the realities of life. It can be dangerous. Life is full of this beautiful contrast between good and bad. We have to be able to see both and respond accordingly. By ignoring either reality, we find ourselves in a difficult world. We have to learn to confront grim reality, the grim reality while still creating a vision of possibility. Not an easy balance. This is tough. Sort of that optimistic view of what's happening combined with sort of a realistic expectation. It's, it's not easy to do. For me, personally, how do I balance it? If I were to give you an answer, it comes down to one thing. It comes down to understanding what I can and cannot control and to a mindset and a realization that I create my reality depending on what frames I choose to explain what's in front of me. Some frames are constructs of reality. If you don't know that, go back to the podcasts, previous podcasts where we talk about the Amplified Formula. But the frames that I choose to function from really are constructs of that reality. And if So I have to be careful of what frames I choose because I can, that, those frames will determine if I'm having a good day, a bad day, if this is a good year, a bad year, if, if, if these are opportunities or if I'm lost. And... The power of choosing that is critical. So I believe in optimism. In fact, Martin Seligman, who's the founder of Positive Psychology, and talked a lot about learned optimism and all of those things. He's one of the most influential people in my career. He talks about this, so I love it. But it's the abuse of optimism and the overextension of it that can get us in trouble. Number nine, Bobby Selfish. I probably should have, Stephen Selfish. Maybe I should have done something like that. Stevie Selfish, I don't know. It's, this one I have is Bobby Selfish. So Bobby is prepared. He has money in the bank. He has a plan for himself and his family. And that's it. He has circled the wagons and is successfully keeping others out while I respect and admire his ability to take care of his family. Ignoring others during their time of need will come back to haunt him after this passes. Trust has been lost. They already know you will, be, you will not be there for them when things go sideways. All negotiations will be questions, questioned, extended, all because they don't trust you. Empathy is the only answer here. How would you want others to respond if you were in their shoes? Ooh, man, that's a hard one. How many times have you seen p- things go through and, and people immediately, and, and, and me too, you, just, you, you immediately just say, okay, I gotta take care of my family. And that is my job, just like it is yours. But as leaders, 
sometimes we have to look past our own immediate needs. Not saying you can't take care of your family, but people are dependent. There's a, there's a work family. There's a, there's a trust. There's a sacred bond that people have said, you know what? I'm going to trust you and I'm going to work for you. I'm going to buy into your vision and all those things. So this, this whole piece here around buying into something and somebody having my back is, is critical. And the last one, call this one, or the hymn, Arnie Armchair. Arnie is typically found on Monday mornings after Sunday, Sunday football telling everyone what they would have done, what the coaches sh- or what the coaches should have done. Now we see them armchair quarterbacking every decision made during the crisis. They are not experts. They have zero experience. They don't have any credentials. But man, do they have opinions on what should have been done. Notice that they offer nothing about what should be happening moving forward. That is too risky that they might be wrong. Waiting until it's over, they might ensure an accurate measurement. Now I'm sure when we look at all of these 10 leadership brands, I'm hoping you find yourself in some of them. Because I even as I read them this time, I'm like, geez, okay, that there's that one, there's this one, and you start kind of seeing different elements and where you might fit. But you start saying, okay, how can I start adjusting myself and, and how do I start building more empathy? If you notice that there's an empathy sort of a common theme throughout, but also courage to act and setting vision is a common th- theme throughout. So how do I, as a leader, start noticing this and how do I surround myself around people that have the the courage and this inner strength to be able to tell me about it, right? So the big question is, what should I be doing, right? First thing, you gotta take inventory as much as you can. Like, how did you act during this pandemic? Who were you? Take a look at your, take a look at your posts. Did you double down and move forward or did you kind of sit back and wait and hope? Did you take a ton of vacation and say, you know what, maybe this is my time off. Let this all pass. You know, who are you, what'd you do? And then I want you to also ask yourself, or who do you wanna be the next time uh, you're faced with a crisis, a pandemic, or something like this. Who do you want to be? And then the tougher question is, who do you want your kids to be during times like this? Who do you want your kids to be? Because they're going to become just like you. And so that became kind of a driving force for me to say, okay, how would I want my son, my boys to respond to this? Because if if I respond this way and they were to see this and they would act that way, I'd be extremely disappointed in myself. So this is that was one of the big motivators that I had for me. And the next thing I also did is, okay, who are the people that I admire and how do they act during crisis? You know, are they cool and calm? Do they run through? You know, there's so many, there's so many cool people that I look up to when it comes to things like that. And so I try to emulate those pieces. But when you see them, even in movies, there's people you can, you can take on those roles of protagonists in movies and start to emulate them and channel sort of what you think that they would do. I think that's a powerful exercise. So, the answers to these tough questions should serve as filters for you going forward and how you address some of these issues. And no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is happening, this is a lot of change, but some things will never change. Number one, salespeople need to sell. Salespeople need to book appointments. You need to do the things, engage in the money-making activities. But also leaders need to set the tone and vision of organizations and protect their talent and acquire talent. And so those things, no matter what's going on, still need to happen. Frontline workers still need support. Children still need to see their parents helping and leading. All those things still need to happen. So my hope is that you can avoid falling into some of these traps by just bringing some self-awareness to to it. Paying attention to which one of these. Read them. Take a look at it. 
do a self-inventory. Share it with a friend and say, hey, which ones do you think I am? I made my list of which ones I think you might, you know, fall into. And maybe we'll share. But you got to be a good friend, somebody that you trust. So that concludes our podcast for this week. Make sure you follow us on meetrene.com. Go down to the podcast and subscribe on Apple, Amazon, uh, Spotify, all the cool stuff. Buy our book, amplifybook.com. Come to AmpCon Live. It's our Amplify Conference in Las Vegas, March 14th. And follow us, meet Renee, get our newsletter, YouTube, all that fun stuff. Until next time, have an amazing week. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit meetrene.com.